Hi, this is Jim. Welcome to another episode of Kitchen Table Adulting. Today we have Sybil Barrett with me. Hi, Sybil. Hey, everybody. How are you today? Uh, and Sybil is a very experienced property manager, and we are discussing leases and apartments and all, all that sort of stuff. So let's start here, Sybil. Where do people typically find an apartment? So, of course, Google is the go-to for everyone. Um, when you Google property management, there will usually be a list that comes up. Um, the JMAX, Lawson, if we're speaking directly to the Roanoke area, any of these direct websites will be up to date. Um, mostly, they will syndicate with Zillow, Trulia, Hotpads, Apartments.com. Um, some of those sites don't stay up to up to date, but you will be able to find everything you need um, just by Googling property management. Okay, and then also uh, Craigslist might be a lead. And, and I think some people just are driving around and they say, oh, there's a apartments available sign and just call the number. Uh, and for the benefit of the audience, uh, you, can, you can add anything I may have missed. But to me, it seems like apartments fall into basically three categories. The first being directly owner managed, uh, and that's where, you know, maybe a couple buys a house as a rental property and they handle finding the tenant and collecting the rent and all that stuff themselves. And then there's what I would call an on-site office situation here in Virginia. That typically means something like the Cedar Pines apartment complex, which has 200 units and an on-site office. And then the third category is more what, how I met you which is a formal property management company that manages properties on behalf of owners. Does that sound right? That's correct. And I'll be happy to elaborate um, on the differences in a little more detail for you. Um, so basically an owner is the, is the person that owns the property. When a property management company, such as Lawson, which is how I met you, Jim, um, takes over, we are the go-between between the owner and the tenant. Um, many owners that may have one house or two or three or a hundred will want to hire a property manager um, to handle maintenance requests, leases, um, all tenant relations. The on-site property manager um, for a large complex would be your one person um, that you could go to everything for leases, maintenance, questions about pets or roommates. So you, you have usually one direct contact um, in any type of property management situation. Um, the owner, the owner managed properties, um, those are sometimes great also. If you, if you have one owner that's responding to all of your requests and your needs, um, sometimes that can, that, that can get your maintenance needs taken care of more quickly um, as opposed to when you're in a larger company. Yeah, and I, I would say that owner managed is uh, hit or miss because you, you can get an amazing owner who wants the property completely taken care of and is great to work with, but you're also at risk of getting somebody who's definitely not a professional property manager and may resent you making maintenance requests or other things. So um, Tim, put that little knowledge in, in the back of your brain when you're looking for apartments. I, um, okay, so let's talk about the application process and we'll just uh, stick to the sort of the property management company that I where I met you. If somebody maybe calls the office and says, hey, I saw an apartment on your website. Um, how can I sign a lease? What, what, what is that process? 
So typically, um, different property management companies, we everybody does have an application fee. That application fee uh, is not refundable once an application is processed. It does include doing a background check, a credit check, um, and paying administrative fees. Um, Usually right now we're in COVID, so a lot of applications are done electronically. Um, people can do an application at any time. People are relocating. They can do it without viewing an apartment. Um, and that's usually directly on the company website specific to the property. There will be an apply now button um, somewhere close to that property, uh, typically in the right-hand corner as far as I've seen. Okay. And... Um... So the the credit check that's that's a big one. Did have you in your previous role? Did you have sort of a threshold of uh, we don't deal with people below a certain credit score kind of thing? Or so basically, when um, running an application, there's several factors that will be taken into consideration. Um, the first is credit. Uh, landlord history references are taken into consideration. Um, and you're not always denied based on a credit score. There are ways to overcome that, such as a co-signer. Um, in the state of Virginia, a co-signer would have to be in-state and sometimes a double security deposit um, to, to overcome credit scores. So, th so there are a couple options. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's good to hear. I'm, uh, okay. And then in terms of our upfront costs, we're looking at, obviously there's the application fee, which the last time I did one was about 35 bucks. I'm sure it's gone up. And, and obviously people listening in California would say it's a hundred dollars here. Right. Uh, but uh, so then there's that. And then there's a deposit, which is typically one month's rent. And some, some places in the more extreme uh, will ask for first and last month's rent, right? So it, it varies from state to state as to what type of deposits you're able to accept. Um, in Virginia, you can't accept any more than a double deposit. In some states, you could ask for a triple deposit if you're working with a, a, a more risky um, prospective tenant. So it varies state to state. Um, typically in Virginia, we ask for one month's rent, of course, unless we're in a riskier environment and there's a two month's rent, but not typically first and last month. Okay, and just to clarify for the audience, when we're saying like deposit, a deposit is held largely uh, for any damages that occur while you're living in the apartment, correct? That's correct. So your deposit is not able to be used as your last month's rent. Yeah. Um, there will be a move out inspection after your tenancy. So typically a, a lease is a 12 month term. Sometimes owners will do shorter term, but it's typically a 12 month term. Um, when your lease ends, you legally have 72 hours to complete a move out inspection. The tenant has the right to be present. Um, and that's where you go and you do a walkthrough and assess the property from its condition when you first move in and assess the property again when you move out. If there are any deductions, um, you know, large holes in walls, um, anything that might happen that does come from your security deposit. Yes, and uh, I'll, I'll give a little advice to the audience here. This is something that I have done, which is, um, especially since cell phones make it so easy, take a quick walkthrough video when you first get the keys and you know record the fact that, yeah, there already was that smudge on the wall or that crack in the ceiling. Um, and obviously you can then alert the property owner or property management company, but that's kind of puts the proof that, no, I didn't do that. And then, you know, obviously there is 
incidental uh i wouldn't even well damage or uh, what's the what's the term normal wear and tear normal wear and tear thank you yes so you know like your chair scratching the paint on the on the dining room wall that people you know expect that and that typically they won't go after you for that but if you're you know 12 year old son punches a hole through the bathroom door yeah you're going to end up paying for that yes that's that's exactly right Okay, good. And then for somebody who's uh, entirely new to leasing an apartment, obviously you go through the application process. Um, well, actually, uh, and, and you would normally want some verification of income along with the application. That's correct. So in, in different um, situations, whether it's a multifamily property, such as a, a duplex, a townhome, um, an apartment versus a single family home, um, you will, you'll be responsible for different utilities. So usually, um, you know, if you're in an apartment, something like water and sewer is going to be included. Uh, trash pickup might be included. Um, in a single family home, also lawn care would be included. So when you're, when you're looking at the type of home um, to, to suit your budget, um, we're typically looking two and a half times market rent in an apartment and three times in a single family home because you will be responsible for more utilities as well as lawn care. So you're saying that the your somebody's income would be need to be two and a half times one month's rent? Is that kind of the in an apartment situation versus a, a single family home situation? And that's just to prove that when we lock you into that contract of that twelve month lease agreement, that you will be able to pay. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if if the rent is a thousand dollars, then you're looking to say, do you make at least twenty five hundred a month for an apartment, and a little bit more if you're renting a single family house? Okay. Yes. And then, uh, but when, and how do you get utilities in your own name? This is something that I definitely didn't understand the first time I rented an apartment. And of course that was back pre-internet, but what is that? Because um, if you're moving into a space that's recently occupied, it might be the previous tenant who's named on the gas and electric bill, or maybe it's been shifted back to the property management company. So, so what does somebody do to get those utilities in their name? Sure. So um, many property management companies now um, will provide you with a list of your local utility providers. Um, you need to also think about if you've not had utilities in your name before, often there will be required a deposit. And that deposit is based on the previous usage of the unit itself. So, um, for instance, you know, if AEP, if your electric has been running $200 a month on average for the last 12 months or the previous tenant has, then AEP might require you to put down a $200 deposit um, that would be refundable after a year. Um, so you can also go to your, your local government sites uh, for Roanoke, it'd be roanoke.gov, and they will provide a link of all the utilities relevant to your area. And as I recall from the last time I did this, whoever has the utilities in their name last needs to call and put an end date. So the previous tenant would have to say, hey, I'm moving out on April 30th. And so the gas company or electric company puts the end date of this tenant is off the books on April 30th. Then when you call and say, okay, I, I want to put it in my name May 1st, then they're like, okay, we have the end date for the previous. So now we can open an account in your name. Yes, that's correct. Perfect, okay, good. And so, um, uh, sorry for skipping around here. Um, 
Oh, here we go. Let's let's talk about the 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 lease language and the various clauses. And we, we do not have time in a podcast to go through all of them. But for the audience, um, I've read several leases in my day, and they are written by lawyers, so I can kind of sort of understand them. But there is some language that can be confusing. But just as as an experienced uh, property manager, what do you think are the most important things a new tenant should be aware of? Sure. So the two biggest things um, that would that would coincide with the lease are called amendments and addenda. An amendment is something that would change a lease. For instance, if you were going to add a pet, or I apologize, if you were going to take a roommate away and get a new roommate, you're changing the lease. An addenda is going to add something. Um, if you're going to add a pet, if you're going to add a roommate that you've never done if you've never had one before. So those are the two biggest pieces um, that will coincide with the lease that do um, covet the lease and any changes that are made that becomes full force and effective. Okay. And then in, in terms of my own experience uh, reading through leases, there, there's a lot of specific language about occupancy and that sort of thing. One that I want to make the audience aware of though is they should have a clause in there about you making no modifications to the property. That's correct. So um, often tenants will come to you and say, hey, you know, I've got this pink bedroom and I, I really don't like it. Um, and maybe they've rented it with the pink bedroom. They would go to their property manager. The property manager is the go between um, between the owner. So I would go to the owner and I would say, hey, you know, so-and-so doesn't like this pink room. Would it be okay if they paint it yellow? Um, usually the property manager or the owner will respond to the, the property manager in a way that says, yes, you know, you could make that type of modification. However, you'd need to return it to the, to the same paint as it was upon your move-in. Um, if you asked to put a window in, um, you know, that, that might be... Uh, uh, no, go. Yeah, yeah, and I and I specifically want to call out what I think uh, a young person might be tempted to do, and I'm thinking specifically of a young guy. You before you install the wall bracket for your 55 inch flat screen TV, you do need to get that approved. You can't yes, just throw holes in walls. And that's one of those things that it would be your responsibility to repair upon move out, or could be deducted from your security deposit. Yeah, it's and and all. I think a reasonable owner or property manager will approve reasonable requests. So just ask. Don't yes. do anything in secret. Yes. Um, and then I'm trying to think with. Uh, and then there's a lot of language in a lease in terms of the condition of the apartment and the process for um, end of lease. Like you mentioned, the checklist for move out. Um, I, I guess I can, I can follow up with you. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on lease language, but I think the most important thing for young people to understand is that you are, when you sign that lease, you can use the space to live, but it is not yours to modify. That, that's correct. Okay. And you talked a little bit about, uh, I, bad credit scores. I guess the, if somebody has a bad, or have you, you said you also do criminal background checks? We do that as well, yes. And how much, let's say somebody has a misdemeanor on their record, how much does that work against them? So it depends on the type of misdemeanor um, and it depends on how far back. So, uh, you know, minor, minor offenses usually are overlooked. 
Um, it just is up to the discretion of what the actual charge is. So there's really no way to know. Gotcha. Case by case. Okay. Um, but but it's in terms of the application, people should be honest about it because you're going to do the background check and find it. And you, I would imagine you're quickly dismissed if you've lied and said- Absolutely. Okay. So if you have something on your record, own up to it. Um, yes. Okay. And what should somebody do? Uh, typically, uh, at least in my current lease, rent is due on the first of the month and late if you get it in beyond the fifth of the month. But what, what should you do if you fall behind on rent? Sure. And that's that's- that's absolutely correct. Rent's due on the first of the month. There's a grace period um, with most property managers and owners to the fifth. If you can't pay until the 10th, if you can't pay until the 20th, reach out to your property manager. We once again are the go-between, um, you know, and if you have a great track record and you pay on time and all of a sudden a car expense has come up, you know, and you have to dish out $400 that you were gonna pay for rent, reach out to us because we can talk to the owners and we can work out a plan for that repayment. Yeah, I think that- Communication is very big on that one. Yes, the, the last thing you wanna do is uh, have no communication and let the owner or manager make assumptions because that's when things go bad. Yes. Okay, and you alluded to it before, but let's talk about pets. And now I have, in my adult life, I've never had a pet in a rented property, although I know that typically the, uh, the lease will require a deposit, sometimes non-refundable. That's correct. So um, it's once again, it's very owner specific and it's based on people's experiences. Some owners will allow cats and won't allow dogs. Some will allow dogs and not cats and some will allow none or both. Um, so some companies will do a refundable deposit. Some will do a non-refundable deposit. However, the monthly pet rent is always charged. So that is not refundable. So you would have that one time upfront deposit, um, such as $250. If there are any damages done by your pet, the damages will come out about $250. Um, if it's refundable, some owners don't refund it at all. They just use it as, a, as an accepting that there's going to be an additional wear and tear on the property. Yeah, I mean, having pets in an apartment almost certainly means you're going. The owner will have to get a professional carpet cleaner upon move out. So you're probably paying for that. So, so it is possible that if the rent was a thousand dollars, they might say it's a thousand fifty because you have a pet. The actual okay. rent goes up. Yes. Okay. Log that one in the cost of having pets, and <laughs> and definitely um, not declaring a pet would be a breach of your lease. Yes. Okay. Again, something to be honest about up front. And I want to briefly touch on the idea of tenant rights. Uh, not that you're an attorney, but specifically, it's important for young people to understand that uh, the property management company or the owner has the right to enter the apartment, but there's a, there's a need to give notice if it's not an emergency, right? That's absolutely correct. And it's typically... Um, thought as as 24-hour notice. If if somebody, um, a property manager or an owner needed to enter the apartment, if you know there was water pouring out um, or the house is on fire, then we have the right to go immediately um, and and do what we need to do in that situation. Okay, and and an, uh, a a property management company could say we are giving you notice that we're coming through just to inspect. 
That's correct. So we would give you 24 hour notice um, and we have the legal right to enter whether you're there or not um, or don't want us to be. However, um, we do try to make reasonable accommodations. You know, if it's not a good time, you've got family in town, whatever the situation might be, we'll we'll try to work with you. um, But we do have that right. The tenants also have their own set of rights. um, And usually there's a book of bylaws in Virginia. It's the tenant landlord um, handbook. And that will lay out what will happen if a landlord doesn't make timely repairs. Um, So for instance, you say, hey, I don't want to pay rent because, you know, I've put in this request three times and nobody's done anything about it. So it will will lay out before you what you can do, go to the courthouse and pay where it's held in an escrow account. Um, So those those books of bylaws um, are going to vary from state to state, but they're, they're very important. Yes, actually, that, that, is, that is very good to know. Um, you know, ideally, you don't have any sort of hostile rental situation, but sometimes it can happen. But good segue into maintenance. So I know the house that I currently rent, uh, you, you helped me get the lease started on. Uh, and that management company produces a basically a one-page document that is still on my refrigerator about maintenance requests and when to call, how to do it. And there's a big difference between routine maintenance versus emergency maintenance. So what are your... Absolutely. So typically anything involving water is going to be considered an emergency. Um, If you have a pipe leaking, the water creates intrusion, which can, um, in effect, go into cabinets, can go into floors, can go into, create a job that could have been solved with a $50 fix, and now it's a $1,000 fix. So that that um, would be considered an emergency. Um, if your house is on fire, call 911 before you do anything else. Um, if you said, hey, you know, there's a, a a bulb out that I can't reach on the outside of the garage or my gutters are full and they need cleaning because things are overflowing, maintenance is going to reach out to you and say, hey, you know, we can take care of this on Tuesday between 12 and 3, you know, does that work? Yeah, exactly. And and so it's good, especially for young tenants to understand, don't sound the alarm for something that can wait three days, be mature about it, submit the request. The property management company I deal with right now wants every request submitted online, which is fine. Actually, it makes it kind of easier in a way because the online portal allows you to upload pictures. So um, that that can help the maintenance people plan. And it's also important to let people know that if you're renting like the house I rent, if I call and make a maintenance request, the owner is going to get a bill for that either from the plumber who came to do the work or from the property management company that sent their guy to, you know, handle the gutters or whatever. And so if it needs to be done, it needs to be done, but you should be conscious of not running up a tab just because you're upset at the property management or whatever, because there is a cost every single time. And if you like where you live and you want your lease to be renewed and, you know, keep the relationship healthy, don't make unnecessary requests. No, that's correct. We do always encourage you, though, to make a request um, once again about water as soon as possible. That is something if you don't submit a request that creates further damage, you as a tenant could get billed um, for that as well. Yeah. If you have any issues with your electrical system, water or you or and obviously if you have any kind of gas leak or you smell natural gas for that, you got to call the gas company immediately. Yes, that's a different problem. But yeah. And for people who have just 
you know, live with their parents or maybe just been in military housing or whatever and haven't lived on their own, water will damage everything. It is not your friend when it goes inside where you live. And that does include just a simple drip under the bathroom sink. Don't ignore it. Don't catch it in a cup and dump the cup in the sink or the bathtub. Report it and get it you know, taken care of. It's amazing to me that people don't know that, but some people just don't know that. Right. The experience. Once you've experienced it, you, you remember it. Once you've paid for one, you, yeah. you won't do it again. That's for sure. Okay. And let's talk briefly about renter's insurance. With renter's insurance, you're, you're insuring the cost of replacing things that you own. It, the example I'll use is if a fire burned the structure to the ground, then you're gonna, going to lose your clothing, your furniture, your television, your laptop, and you probably don't have the cash on hand to replace that. So that's why you get renter's insurance. But the building owner is responsible for insuring the structure, correct? Yes, that's correct. And renter's insurance um, is really a great thing. You can contact whomever um, you have your car insurance through, you know, and it might be 10, 12 bucks a month. So it's really, it's well worth it. Um, it, there, there are some things that renter's insurance would not cover, um, such as, you know, if a basement flooded and you had your things um, in the basement, but certainly if a pipe bus, if there's a fire, um, you know, those situations that that eight, 10, 12 bucks a month is, is really nothing compared to the damages uh, that you might have. The owner has their own insurance um, and that would cover things, you know, if, if somebody slipped and fell on the ice and there was a, you know, a battle in courts that wouldn't have anything to do with the tenant. That would be between the owner and the insurance company. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and then let's talk about roommates. So a lot of young people obviously will to save costs or save money. They're going to say like, okay, it's a three bedroom apartment and I've got two of my buddies and we're all going to sign a lease. And as I'm asking this, I don't know what we need to tell them. But one thing I, I, that everyone needs to understand is you all have shared liability for what your roommates do. And so you need to be careful about who you, you know, sign a lease with, because if you sign a lease with someone you don't know very well and he skips town, then your rent just went up because you're on the hook. They don't discount it by a third. Yes, it's, it's what's called joint and several. So when you sign that contract, uh, you, you have two, three, four, how many roommates, however many you're going to have, it's called joint and several. And that means that in that contract, all of you are responsible for all of the very same terms. Um, if, for instance, you had four roommates, you know, somebody is going to move out of state. You reach out to your property manager and you would need to get requalified to make sure that the three of you um, once again, it's going to come down to kind of proof of income. So basically, you at that point, you would use um, an addenda or amendment to do whatever necessary changes um, you, you would need to do. But yes, you're all responsible for the exact same terms of that lease. Yeah. And so that, and that do any horror stories come to mind as I mentioned roommates? Jim, too many probably. Yes, okay. that actually... Um, Actually, we'll do a whole separate episode on roommate horror stories. <laughs> um, but okay, so that's very good information to share. Um, 
And actually, that that goes through my initial list of questions. Oh, well, quickly, um, what about discrimination in leasing? I think every state has some law. I, the gist of what I understand is that if you have a good credit score, a good record, and you financially qualify, you should not be denied. So that is true. And what will happen is in that application process, and it, it can become a little complicated now that things are done online electronically, um, but it also is it's simplified as well because those applications, when they come in, they come in, we know the exact minute that they come in. So say, you know, we've shown a property five times and everybody rushes to get that application in, everybody wants it. We know the first one to come in and the first one that we are able to approve, um, typically we would go to that, that applicant and say, hey, you know, your application's approved, but we've got four other behind you. So at that time, somebody would be given such as 24 hours to put down the security deposit before we moved on to the next application. That being said, also, if you have three or four people that are applying for the same property, your applications cannot be processed until all of the applications are received for that property. So for instance, you know, Joe Smith submits his application, you know, he's got three other roommates, but they, they don't get it in until a week later. Joe Smith's application can't be processed until uh, we have everybody together. Oh, that's very good for uh, people entering a roommate situation to be aware of. And actually, um, going back to roommates, uh, every lease is going to have a clause about guests and the length of stay. Um, I think off the top of my head that I'm supposed to report anyone who stays in my house for more than seven days. Um, but my point in bringing this up, especially for young folks, is do not get, get in a situation where you have three people on the lease and you invite two more to live there kind of on the down low. That's not acceptable. That's correct. And those seven days are consecutive. So it doesn't mean that throughout the year you can't have people come visit and stay the night. Um, that's just to um, to prevent the situation that, that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Good thing to be aware of. All right. So now we have covered my uh, full set of lease related questions, but I end every episode by asking my guests uh, uh, one question, which is, Again, the show being kitchen table adulting, it's all things pertaining to adult life. So Sybil, what is something about being an adult that you wish you had figured out before you turned 25? Oh no. <laughs> um, 25 was so fun, Jim. That was, it was, it was, yes. So um, I guess being an adult, uh, has a lot more responsibilities than, than you really know until you get there. When you're 25, I think, you know, you look at life full steam ahead, um, you know, kind of an, an invincible type of situation. Um, and, and life isn't invincible. And as you, as you get older and you take on more responsibilities, um, you know, owning or leasing homes, having children, having pets, your responsibilities grow. So um, just, I'm not invincible. No, no, you're not. No, it's and it, yeah, excellent. Okay, well, thank you so much. Actually, I, at some point, I would like to have you back when I get more uh, follow-up questions from audience members. So, sure, Sybil, I totally appreciate your time, and uh, we will sign off on this episode. That concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you have any follow-up questions, you can email me at askjimkta at gmail.com, or for more information, check out kitchentableadulting.com. 